and welcome to Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We would love to have you join us for worship today. Our Bible studies begin at 9 a.m. for all ages, followed by a service at 10.30 a.m., and then our evening discipleship service at 6.30 p.m. We are located at 14260 South Dixie Highway in Monroe, Michigan. Our phone number is 734-241-6860. You can also find more on our website, www.mmbconline.org. Here is a message from our senior pastor, Tim Icoangeli. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open them up to Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. I don't know what your mindset is when you walk into this building on Sundays, but if I have to confess, sometimes my thought process is, God, please don't let anything go wrong. And today is one of those days where everything, it seems, has gone wrong. Water leaking in the back, no lights in the sanctuary, except for some really bright ones right here. Children's church worker comes down with the flu, last second. Band complains to me that practice was horrible and it's going to be miserable and nobody's going to stay, everybody's going to leave. Sounded so bad. I'm thankful that we serve a God who's immovable and unshakable, unlike us. We get moved, don't we? We get, we get shook so easy by the things of this world, things that happen to us that can affect our mood so, so quickly. We can go from a good day to a bad day at the drop of a hat just because of something that happens. But we thankfully have a God who, who never changes, who's unshakable. And the Bible tells us that it is on that foundation that we plant our life. And so we have a firm foundation, even though we sway, even though we struggle, we hurt, we serve the one who is a firm foundation. I'm thankful for that uh, this morning. <clears throat> As we look at Ruth chapter one, we're going to look at the rest of chapter one today, uh, this morning. Uh, but just a little bit of review. I hope you remember there was a, a family and they left Bethlehem. Uh, they left Bethlehem because there was a famine. They went to Moab, who was an enemy of Israel, who they were told very clearly not to go there. God had told them, do not go there. Uh, it was during the time when the judges ruled, so Israel did not have a king at this point. And if you remember the verse that we read that showed us uh, out of Judges that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the situation that Elimelech and his family find themselves in. That is the political climate. That's the social climate that is going on. Everybody doing what is right in their own eyes. And so Elimelech had a choice for his family. We can either stay here in Bethlehem where there's no food, there's nothing to eat, or I hear that Moab has food, and he decided we're going to go to Moab. Now, this was against God's word. This was against God's law, but it was kind of a common sense choice, we could say. And so last week, we kind of looked at that, how we can never choose to disobey God's word, even sometimes when there's a perceived need that needs to be met, or there's a desire that we might have, or even though the situation might just seem like I have to do this little lie here in order to do a better good, there's never a situation where that needs to be done. We always obey God's word. We always 
follow God's word. And we saw that as a result of this move, this family faced some horrible consequences. Limelech dies. Uh, His two boys end up marrying foreign women, but then they die. And so now you have Naomi, who is Elimelech's wife, alone with her two daughters-in-law, with nothing, in a foreign land. And we left the situation very hopeless last week as we went to verse 5. And so today I want to read from uh, verse 6 all the way to 22 together, and then we'll, we'll dive in. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was, and her her two daughters-in-law were with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, If I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want to break this down into little sections, and then at the very end, see what we can learn from this passage together. But in verse 6 through 7, a decision was made again. Another decision needed to take place. There's word that there is food again in Bethlehem and Naomi having nothing, having nowhere to go, decides, you know, I'll go back to Bethlehem where there's food. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back home. When you see in verse six through seven, it talks about returning and there's a word that is used for returning in the Hebrew and the, the word is shub. Okay. The word shub, and it's a very important word throughout the book of Ruth and really in the old Testament, 
altogether. It's, it's used multiple times in, in Ruth chapter one. And it's, it's a way that the writer is, is trying to get our attention as we read. I don't know if, if many of you are readers, if, if you like to read, but sometimes authors will, will use a, a theme or they'll, they'll use a word that keeps coming up that kind of makes you start suspecting, I think I know what direction they're going. I kind of think I know what's going to happen in this, in this book. And for Ruth, it's this word, return. It, it's it's shub, that, that word shub. This, this word was used in the Old Testament when, when describing turning back to God or returning back to the Lord, coming back to his covenant mercies and his covenant grace. And so it's a very important word. The Jews would actually use this word on the, on the Sabbath before the day of atonement because that's what they were getting ready to do. We're returning back to the Lord. We're repenting of our sin and we're, we're going back to him. And so this is the, the word that we see here in verse six through seven, and it starts to give us a hint. It's a hint that God is doing something here. We left at the end of verse five, hopeless. What is happening? This is just a disaster. I don't want to read any more of this book to now it's this word return popping up saying, God, God is moving. God is, God is at work. God is orchestrating something here in this passage. As we get to verse eight through 13, it's actually a very curious section, I believe, uh, of this book of, of Ruth, because Naomi here lays out very clearly what is at stake for her daughters-in-law. It's a very clear, concise, very honest situation that they find themselves in. And she's very honest with them, right? She says, if you go back to Moab, you'll probably find a husband. You'll probably then be able to have children and you'll be okay. You'll have food. You'll be where you're most comfortable. You'll be in your, in your own land. And she tells them, don't, don't come with me. Go back to your land. Go back to where there is hope. Go back to where maybe there is some security. She says, because if you, if you go with me, then you're sacrificing absolutely everything, right? She says, what are you, you going to do? Even if I get married tonight, she says, wait, let me go even further. Even if I had a child tonight, are you going to wait for that child to grow so that you can marry, marry him? No, you're not, you're not going to do that. So Naomi really does everything in her power to convince her daughters-in-law to leave, to go back. Now, if you're anything like me, I think, Naomi, that was a very horrible way to share the gospel with somebody. Would you not agree? I mean, she even says, go back to your gods. I mean, she says that. Go, go back to your gods, which Naomi knows our pagan gods are, are not the true gods. She knows that spiritually there is no hope in Moab. But yet her pitch to them is, you go here because there's no hope with me where I'm going. Now, I've read a lot of different commentaries on this because I, I struggled with this uh, with Naomi. And I've read some commentaries that say, well, what Naomi is doing here is she's explaining to them the cost of discipleship and she's being honest with them as, as we need to be. But then I read other commentaries that say Naomi is, uh, very bad at this. Uh, 
Naomi is struggling spiritually. And for Naomi right now in this situation, there is no hope for her anywhere, even in Bethlehem. And so she's struggling as a child of God. And so what you see is a very bad way to share the gospel. What you see is bad advice happening. And now you can believe what you want there. I think as we go through Ruth, I kind of believe that she's struggling. I kind of believe that she does a bad job here, even though it's honest of what she says about the cost of discipleship, the cost of what it means to follow the Lord, which we'll talk about more later. Naomi, anyways, though, leaves them with a decision, right? She leaves them with a decision. She says, it's on, it's on you what you're going to do. As we get to verse 14 through verse 18, we see that decisions are made. Orpah decides to go home. She believes her chances there are much better. Yes, what Naomi said probably sunk into her and said, yeah, I could probably go back home to my mom. You know, I, I could go back home to where it's comfortable and they're going to accept me and they're going to love me and there's, there's food there and there's men in that town and I probably can get married. And so as she listened to what Naomi had to say, again, I, I'm sure the common sense of her had to say, she's absolutely right. There's nothing for me over there. I don't have to do anything for this woman. I'm not, I'm not married to her, right? I don't have any deep connection to her that I have to have. And so it's wise for me to go home. To be honest, I think it's the decision most of us would have made as we face that situation. But the Bible tells us that Ruth did something else. Ruth made a decision that was a risk, but she put the risk all up on the Lord. And we see this in verse 16 and verse 17. And it's what normally gets pulled out of Ruth when somebody talks about Ruth is, is this little section here, or a lot of times people want to grab uh, the section of verse 14 and pull some big sermon out of it that uh, Orpah left, but Ruth clung to her and the idea of clinging. But Ruth makes a big, bold statement saying, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. This, and that right here is where it gets even bigger. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth decides at this moment that she's going to risk everything, but she's risking it for the Lord, not just Naomi. She's risking it, and this was a big deal for her. She is changing peoples. She is changing nationality. She is, she is changing lands. And this is not an easy thing for her because probably she will be shunned now by her, by her people. I dare say some of you have faced a similar situation in your walk with the Lord, changing maybe from one religion to the other. I've heard many stories from some of you like that, saying things like, you know, if I get baptized, do you know what that means for me when, when I tell my mom and my dad? Ruth does. Ruth knows. You know, sometimes when we follow the Lord, it's, it's a very tough decision because the people that we love the most, the people that we're closest to are not going to be happy with the decision we're making that we're, that we're trying to follow the Lord faithfully. And so we face a situation much like Naomi is laying before her daughters-in-law saying, this, this means everything. 
You can go back to your home and to your family where they're going to love you and they're going to support you and they're going to care for you. Or you can seek out real hope, the only hope that can really be found, that is found in the Lord. But know this, you probably will be shunned. It's going to change your life forever. It's drastic. But we see Ruth said, no, my dying pledge is to your God. And that is where I stand. As you get to verse 19 to 22, we see them entering Bethlehem, which I do need to say something about verse 18. I find that to be curious as well. Ruth just pours her heart out to her mother-in-law, just pours it out to her. I'm going to die where you got. Nothing is going to depart me. And Naomi just does a loving embrace of Ruth and says, let's go, child. No, it says she doesn't talk to her anymore. Nice long walk to Bethlehem of no voices. Ruth's probably thinking, man, I just, I just, <laughs> I just gave my heart over fully. And you're not going to say a word to me. You're not going to say anything to me. But we start to see why in the next verses. Because as they enter Bethlehem and people are like, oh, Naomi's in town. Naomi is back. Is that Naomi? Naomi responds saying, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Says the Lord, this is, this is interesting. She said, when I left this land, I was full. Do you remember? Why did they leave Bethlehem? They were starving. She wasn't full. She wasn't full of anything. And saying, now God has brought me back empty. And she's going back to God's land. Why? Because there's food and she wants to be full. Naomi is really messed up. That's really what we're seeing, I believe. Naomi is, is really hopeless. She's very bitter. She's bitter to the Lord. She's bitter to everybody around her because she has lost everything. Absolutely everything has been lost for her. I don't know where you are in your life today, but maybe some of you could say, I understand Naomi's situation. I've been like that before. I understand what it means to hurt. I understand what it means to lose something. But even in this life of Naomi, we see God is going to do something. I want to read a quote from Sinclair Ferguson in Faithful God. It's his commentary on Ruth. He says this, he says, Naomi's life is a standing testimony to the way in which God brings the sweet out of the bitter and gives his grace in the midst of our sin and our failure. Now we're not going to get there this morning to see that come out in Naomi's life, but that is exactly what God is doing, that, that shub, that returning. God is going to take this bitter woman and pour something sweet into her. And do a great work into her in the midst of tragedy and in heartache. Because that's the God we serve. The God who loves us to do that for us. And so what can we learn from this passage? What are some things that we can uh, pull out from this passage uh, to understand it better for what the Lord has for us? Well, I think the first thing that we need to see, the first thing that we need to realize and that we need to understand is that God is the pursuer of our souls. We see God doing this with Naomi. We see God doing this with Ruth as well. Uh, we already mentioned how bad of a job Naomi did in her witnessing to her daughters-in-laws who supposedly she loved but would rather see them uh, spend eternity in hell than uh, follow her. 
uh, to the Lord. But Naomi does this bad job, yet somehow, in the midst of this horrible presentation of the gospel, God works in the heart of Ruth. God moves Ruth. God pursues Ruth to him. And one of the things that I want us to remember, that I want us to see and learn from this passage, is that even in our worst witnessing experiences, even in our, even in our hardest days as a Christian, where maybe we, we struggle to live out the gospel uh, with people that we're sharing the gospel with, we, we struggle to do these different things, we have to understand that God can still work within the mess of our own lives. God can still pull out the sweet from us when we are struggling, when we feel like we just cannot do it. We must remain faithful as believers, even through our struggles. Some of you right now are struggling with sin. There's sin in your life that maybe you just, you just keep coming to over and over again, and you've prayed, and you say, God, help me get through the sin, and, and you struggle with it again. And you might even be to the point where you start to think, you know what, God, I cannot be used of you anymore. You're so down on yourself because of your sin that you feel, God, you cannot, you cannot use me. I hope that you see Naomi this morning and know that God, God can still use you. And I dare say God is still using you as his child. He can. He uses our messes still for his glory. He makes them work in his plan perfectly. And so we see passages like John chapter 6, verse 44, that says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Naomi has no possible way to boast in this situation as we get to the end of Ruth to say, well, I just did such a fantastic job of laying out the gospel message to Ruth that God, no wonder, no wonder you've used our family. Naomi absolutely cannot say that. As she talks about the family history with her children, she has to talk about the embarrassments of Elimelech and his choices, the horrible situations that they faced in Moab, how death occurred, how she goes back to Bethlehem angry and, and bitter and broken and hurt. And then the good part of the story will start to come about of how God was still working in the midst of it. How God was, pers was pursuing her and Ruth all along. And for me, that is a comforting thing to know is that it doesn't rest on my shoulders, but it's God who draws. It's God who works just like the story of the prodigal son, Naomi and them are being drawn by bread. They're being drawn by comfort. They're not being drawn by spiritual things whatsoever, right? They're being drawn by physical needs. And it's just like in that story of the prodigal son. What drew him back to this homeland? It wasn't the love of his father even. It wasn't anything like that. It was, why am I eating this when my servants eat better at home? I'll go and get my needs met there, right? And as they go back, as he goes back into the land to get his needs met, we know the story. He doesn't just get his needs met by his loving father. He gets blessed beyond anything that he could imagine. He gets completely restored. That's what's happening in this story. 
Restoration is about to take place for Naomi. We see salvation happening here already for Ruth and her faith being grown. God will use what he needs to bring his people to him. Even sometimes your foolishness. Even sometimes your weariness, you running. God continues to pursue us. The other thing we see in this passage and thinking about God pursuing us is that we find ourselves in the exact same position as Orpah and as Ruth. We are outsiders. We are outside of the gospel. We are in a situation where there is no hope. We are foreign to God's people. And so a decision has to be made. If you look in Ephesians chapter two, and you can turn there if you like, because I'm going to read Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through uh, 22 at some point. But we see in Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse 11, it says, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Outsiders of the gospel. That is Orpah. That is Ruth. And what we stand is now we stand with the decision to be made. When the gospel is presented to us, when we hear about the saving works of Jesus Christ, when we begin to start to realize what that might mean. There's a decision that must be made. And Orpah's decision was very clear. I choose the comforts and security of this world. I choose what I can see now. I choose what's going to make me feel the best at this moment. And so her decision was to go home. Now, as we read forward, we don't hear of her anymore. We don't get to hear about Orpah. I have no idea what happened to her. I don't know if she got married. I don't know if she had children. I don't know if she started some business and made a lot of money. I don't know if she became the most popular person in Moab. I have, I have none of that information. But what I, what I know is, is this. She lived her life on this earth and it's over. The treasure that she stored up was on this earth and it's done. She chose to not choose any treasure in heaven, but to only choose the things of this earth. And thus we hear of her no more. We no longer hear her name. On the other hand, we have Ruth. We have Ruth who lays at the feet of her mother-in-law and makes a decision to cling to her mother-in-law and to declare her, her undying affection, not only to her mother-in-law, but also to her Lord saying, I know what it means. I know it means that when I walk out of this land, I will be buried in a foreign land. I'm not coming back. My life is going in this direction, and it's the direction of the Lord. Too often, what we see in the church is we see people make decisions that are cavalier in their approach. It's, I feel good at this moment about this thing that you're telling me, I want this. I'm going to sign this card. But what we see is there's no change that has happened over time. It was just a, in a moment, this feels good. This sounds good. This is one of the very dangerous things, honestly, uh, that I feel we deal with at, at a thing like youth camp. 
Because, because I, have, I have no doubt in my mind uh, of the hundred kids that we have at youth camp, by the end of the week, I can get almost all of them to raise their hand and say, I want Jesus. I can do that. We, we can get that out of them. It's not hard. But, but so often what we see is really only a few have a changed life a couple weeks down the road, a couple months down the road. You see, and what, it, what the difference is, is this cavalier approach to the gospel. Even though Naomi did a bad job, she really laid it out pretty clear. If you're going to follow Christ, it is going to cost you absolutely everything. And that's the last thing I think that we need to pull out from this passage and see. Following Jesus requires everything in our life. Jesus does not promise you a mate. He does not promise you kids. Jesus does not promise you a career. He does not promise you wealth or health. He does not even promise that your life is going to be filled with with happiness and, and good feelings all the time. That is not the promises that we find in scripture, so much so that we read passages like, like Jesus telling people, they're just thronging around him and Jesus looks at them and he says, I know why you're here, because you're hungry and you saw me feed all those people. I'm not here to give you any more food. If you actually want to follow me, you must eat of my flesh and, and drink of my blood. And it's kind of strange. What happens is they say, well, we want to kill you. We're not doing that. They, they fade away. They leave because Jesus is laying out for them. Listen, the cost of discipleship, it's not just you're going to get your ticket punched so that you can walk the streets of gold that we read about or that we sang about this morning. If you're going to be a follower of me, it's going to cost you absolutely everything. It is going to cost you your life. Now, you get things in return. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it's going to cost you some things. And you have to be ready for that. You have to be willing to continue to go forward in this. It's very reminiscent of Jesus talking to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. The Bible tells us, and it says, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come in eternal life. You see, I really think our strategy in evangelism so often in this situation would have been very different than Jesus. 
It would have been very different than what Jesus lays out for us here. If you have somebody who comes up to you and says, please tell me, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're gonna say, trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. He'll forgive you of your sins. Do you want that? Yes, I do. Well, let's pray together then. All right. And so we pray together and we say, brother, you're now saved. You're part of the, you're part of the family of God. Go and live in peace and joy and hope. And we look at this story and we say, well, Jesus, why didn't you do that? He was ready. He, he was what we call fruit ready to be picked. It was low hanging. Just pluck it. He's asking, how do I inherit eternal life? But instead, Jesus being a person filled with integrity doesn't lay it out that way. He speaks the truth to this rich man. And he says, well, these are the things you, these are the things you should do. I've done all those things. Yeah, there's one more thing. Did you just say that there's one more thing that you're holding on to that you're not willing to give up? It's your money for him. It's your money. Go sell it. It says the guy walks away sad. Why? He wasn't willing to give up everything for Christ. Oh, of course he wanted to inherit eternal life. Of course he wanted that taste of salvation, that gift. Of course he wanted those things. Who does not want those things? But when Jesus lays out for him, then this is what it means. It means everything. It means absolutely everything. Forsake it all and follow me. He went away very sad. He went away like Orpah. He went away to a life of wealth, to a life of prosperity, to a life of comfort. But again, it was a treasure that was only stored up here. His bank account in heaven said zero. And so from what we have in scripture, this man died without salvation. He died apart from the Lord. You know, we, we do believe and we know that scripture teaches that the way to be saved isn't a difficult thing. It is faith. God pursues our soul. He draws us to him. We have faith in him. We can our sins and salvation happens and it takes place. I believe that wholeheartedly. And I believe that you can have that today, right where you sit, but please know the truth of it. I feel I would be doing a disservice as a preacher of God's word to tell you that it means all that you have to do is just come here and sit in here and listen on Sundays and you're good. Or, you know, just pray once in a while. I read your Bible once in a while. Or make sure your kids know how to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. You know, just do those things and you'll be good to go. No. The Bible says in order for you to be saved, it means everything. Everything. And even as children of God, so often we want to cling back, cling back to those things that we were once chained to, that God saved us from. Say, but man, it, it's so much better having comfort here. It's so much better having security at this moment. Even though we know God is saying, no, you need to step out. You need to go. You need to give. You, you need to do. Remember, you're mine. You are not your own. You are now a bondservant of Christ. Your life is a sacrifice. We carry our cross daily. And we do this to honor the Lord. Now, I hope that for us as Christians, we know, because I guess, I guess you'd say, man, the way you're painting it is pretty, uh, pretty bleak. It's pretty, 
pretty dark like it, like it is in here. And I don't, I don't mean that at all. The, we're going to see this as we go through Ruth. The, the graces of God and the, and the mercies of God are, are so much better than anything this world can ever offer. That, that short little bit of security that, that Orpah felt, as we look at it now, was a, a vapor where the security that Ruth has is everlasting, completely everlasting. She has a hope that never fades. She has a joy that can never be quenched. And that's what we are promised as, as believers, as those following Jesus as our, our Lord and Savior, those promises remain. But there are things that we must sacrifice. There are things that at times we will have to give up. Some of you maybe have sacrificed some things in, in your life. I hope that when you look back on it, if you sacrifice it for the Lord, you're saying it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. You know, for, for me, I, I had to sacrifice dreams. I, I had to sacrifice hopes. When I finally said, God, I know you're calling me into ministry. To me, I, I mean, I sacrificed money. <laughs> Honestly, that, that was what was in my mind. I'm never gonna have money now. I'm gonna give myself to that. For me, sports, I had to sacrifice sports. And so I, at times, do I look back and say, what if? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say that. There are times I walk in here on Mondays and say, what if I just got a secular job and work 40 hours a week, punch the clock and go home and not think about it? What if I did that today? But then I'm reminded right? Just like you are. I'm reminded. Oh, I'm thinking earthly. I'm thinking about the things here. Not about storing up treasures there. Not about honoring him. Not about sacrificing him. My life is not mine. It's not about, it's not about Tim's well-being. It's not about Tim's health. or It's not even about Tim's family. It's not about anything like that. My life needs to be given to the Lord every day over and over anew. Thank God, today is, is your day. Today is, today is for you to, to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you. Not to glorify myself, but so that you receive glory, so that you receive honor. And the picture that we have here from Ruth as we end chapter one, is Ruth said, I, I'm doing that for you. I, I'm giving my all to the Lord. Everything. And we have to be challenged by that as we read this. Asking ourselves, God, am I doing that? Am I more like Orpah? Or am I more like Ruth? Or at times, am I just bitter like Naomi? I, I fall in that category at times, definitely. And so we're left with the decision as well. Orpah or Ruth every day. And if you haven't accepted Christ in your life, I, I really would pray that God would move and pursue your soul to him and that the Holy Spirit would just make it very clear and evident to you through your word that you desperately need Jesus. Living life for Jesus is so much more rewarding than any life you can live on this earth and anything you can live, anything you can experience on this earth. And I would beg and plead with you if I could to accept Jesus. Christian, those who have, are you sacrificing every day? Are you laying it down for him every single day?
But instead, are you often finding excuses or reasons to say, you know, I can't do that today. I have this. Or no, this is getting in the way. Or man, I'm just tired. I can't do that. I challenge you. Are you like Ruth? Are you clinging to the Lord? Are you dying for the Lord daily? Are you trusting in the things of this world? If this broadcast has affected your life today, or if you have any questions about anything that you have heard, please feel free to write us at info at mmbconline.org or like and comment on our Facebook page. This has been Together in Christ, the radio ministry of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. Have a blessed day. Thank you.